Hi, my name is John Payne, and I'm sitting here at DubLab with Erman Schmidt of Cannes and John O'Podmore, his uh, collaborator. And um, Cannes is the uh, legendary band that always makes me uh, ask the question, uh, who and what are Cannes? If you talk to... Uh, different people about what it is they like about Can. It's as if they're talking about different bands. Can was a lot of different things. And uh, what, what was Can? Where did it start and why? <laughs> well, my idea about founding Can was uh, a, I was educated as a classical Musician, I was conductor and pianist and making recitals with conducting symphony orchestras and composer. And studying with new music with Stockhausen and Ligeti. And uh, that was my education. But uh, after some time, I had the feeling I, I wanted to do so. There is not, a, uh, or let's turn it out the other way. Uh, what we called in this classical music new music is not the only new music in the 20th century. The other, everything like rock and jazz, which came from America, is another totally new phenomenon in Western culture. And uh, I wanted to, to, to have a group which represents both of these new elements in our musical culture. Also, what was new in um, uh, in Western musical experience was the, uh, the beginning of opening to extra-European cultures like uh, African and Asian music. And... Uh, which started actually more with the arts, with painters and, and sculptors uh, in the end of the 19th, beginning 20th century, to be interested in extra-European art. And uh, so that was the third element. And I wanted to bring these things, which were new in Western musical culture, together in a group. So... Uh, there is Jackie, a drummer which started early in his life, I don't know, in 12 or something, drumming, and has been drumming through the whole jazz history and had all this, his, this, this jazz history behind him. I had this, this musical, the, the, the uh, classical history behind me. Then there was Mikael, uh, the, um, who was 10 years younger, who was just a rock guitarist, nothing else, no education. Uh, uh, somebody who just in, a, in school started just uh, with guitar playing. Mm -hmm. So, but a very interested in, in, in anything in the world. And Holger, like me, also a cl classically educated uh, uh, yeah, musician. So what I intended was bringing all this together because what was 
common in all of us was an enormous interest in extra European music too. Jackie was very uh, had a big knowledge about Arabian music, and um, I had studied on university ethnology, music ethnology, and basically Japanese old music, gagaku, and no, and. Uh, Holger was very interested in Asian music. He had even made before Can a record on which he sampled uh, Vietnamese singers. And uh, Michael was highly interested in Bali music. I mean, he was totally amazed that I had records and tapes from from uh, Balinesian music. So uh, this group. That's the special thing about it. It has, as one organism, it unites the whole big wide field of European knowledge of music which came up in the 20th century mm -hmm. of jazz and, and classical music because, I mean, uh, I conducted Mozart as well as, as Cage. Uh, so... Uh, there, there are so many backgrounds in this group, and that's what you hear in the different pieces. Uh, this is the what makes it so content, well, so actual, even for after forty years. Mm -hmm. I am <clears throat> so. There's a lot of um, concept already coming into this um, equation for can. Uh, it makes me wonder why I've, I've heard you refer to those to Can as a merely a pop band uh, in the beginning. And do you still feel that way? I mean, did you were you consciously differentiating it from some sort of a, you know art project? No, uh, it is an art project, Can, which doesn't exclude making pop songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, simple as that. Uh -huh. It's it's pop art in a way. Right. When you all got together for the first time, did it work, and how did it work, and uh, what sort of results did you get? Well, the results are there. Uh, it's our records, and some of the very earliest are on this uh, on this new release of the Lost Tapes. Uh, but uh, I mean, on 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 Monster Movie. And then on the later release delay are the very early things we did. Uh, in the beginning, we tried to forget about everything we had learned and just start from scratch in a way. I mean, you can't erase it from your head, all the experience, but we didn't, I didn't try, for instance, to be the virtuoso on the keyboard, which I actually was. Uh, I mean, having played uh, in public drums uh, and, and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. uh, or oh, Messiaen. One of my favorite pieces was Cantillot Yaya from Messiaen. It's an incredible, difficult, uh, virtuoso piano piece. And we didn't all, uh, and Jackie was uh, virtuoso, which reduced more and more to the essential everything what he knew about drumming and still does. We tried to forget about all this and find out uh, 
well, we, we didn't have a plan mm -hmm. where to go. Uh, the only thing, the only rule for us was that nobody is the composer, the songwriter. We all do it spontaneously, invent things, which doesn't mean we work them out, invent things together. And, every, and there is not one piece of music in the history of can, which is not a can piece. You know, it's all can pieces, which means they are composed by all member together. Mm. Which goes as far as, uh, let's say, there is, is a piece like, like, like um, She Brings the Rain, where only Malcolm sings, Michael uh, plays the guitar, and uh, Holger plays bass. Jackie and me don't play. Jackie said, um, not playing uh, is also a musical decision. And uh, my contribution was just convincing Michael to play a second guitar on it. Jackie and me get the same share, uh, author's share, like anybody else. So mm -hmm. we, we shared everything, and we always were equally composers. As one can is one composer, so to say. Now, the um, composing process, you have differentiated it as um, spontaneous composition as opposed to improvisation in the jazz sense. Mm, yeah. Is, be how do you see that? Yeah, working? because there was never a given scheme, Na neither a harmonics. Uh, scheme before or uh, a melody or a rhythm it was just invented on the spot and spontaneously and that's something else we didn't improvise about a piece like uh, about the scheme of, of harmonies mm -hmm. like jazz musicians do it's uh, there are these I mean all the classical jazz pieces have the, the harmonies which you, as far as you go away from them, as long as you call it the piece, it's ex it's it's existing underlying structure which we didn't have. Uh, we just uh, yeah started playing and started inventing. But it is inventing a structure as you yes, improve. of course. We were always after right. a rhythmical and. Uh, highly developed architecture i mean it's mm -hmm. uh, lots of pieces not all but lots of pieces are are very complex uh -huh. in its structure and again so this would be uh you know with jazz you would have solos over a uh, harmonic uh, yeah, yeah. chord this, this we didn't this have is, i mean yeah. uh, there, there there are so to say solos Mm -hmm. Guitar uh, sometimes uh, very often uh, sounds very solistic, but in a way, we we didn't play real solos mm -hmm. most of the time. When uh, Malcolm joined the group, what uh, what did he bring to it? What sort of uh, change? Did he, uh... Well, when he came, he he brought two things. One thing was that from the very first moment he sang. He formed a kind of rhythm group together with Jackie, with uh, the drumming. 
I mean, they fitted so well together immediately, just very spontaneously, that he brought a very strong rhythmic uh, element into it. And the other thing was not so much a musical thing, but uh, just uh, a gesture, uh, a kind of being, because he was so crazy and so inventing all the time, which on me had an incredible deliberating effect. I, I mean, being educated at a very serious uh, classical musician, I didn't have the freedom he had to act. And uh, although I was in fluxus and had tr already done a lot of uh, kind of data similar mm. stuff, but he had this freedom to to do anything and, and invent constantly, not only in music. Yes. And uh, that uh, had a very strong effect on me personally, which I really. Was yeah, it was deliberating. Maybe we could hear the, a track uh, with the magic of Malcolm Mooney.
I'm interested in knowing about uh, the recording process for the uh, for Can. Uh, you had uh, originally set up a shop in uh, a place called Schloss Norvenich. That was in the very beginning, yes. And uh, where you did the first four albums, is that right? No, only uh, the first uh, three, actually. Yeah. Uh, well... In a, yeah, well, you are right, because Delay, is, uh, which came out then mm-hmm. very late, uh, is done there. And uh, Tago Marga is done there, too. And mm-hmm. Soundtracks and Monster Movie, yeah, you're right. Four records of the very first time on between, uh, between uh, 68 and uh, 71, actually, we... Went to to another place, an old cinema in another Weilerswist in near Cologne, like mm. Nervenich, in another part of another village near Cologne, and we rented an old cinema, which was really that was a real studio then, because in uh, in, uh, in in Schloss Nervenich, this castle, we had a a nice room, but it was not very big, and it wasn't insulated. We had to invent all kind of tricks mm-hmm. around the musicians that it sounded okay, and it does. But uh, yeah, then we moved. But we couldn't stay uh, anyway. We couldn't stay longer in, in Schloss Nervenich because actually it was uh, inhabited. Uh, that was uh, this by now very famous sculptor Ulrich Rückriem mm-hmm. living upstairs and uh, we were pl- uh, re- playing all night we were basically working in, at night so we uh, he couldn't find sleep huh? which by the time became very uh, torture so <laughs> we yeah. had to go out uh, because also Schloss Nervenich had, had one wonderful aspect about it. That was the hallway. That was a big hallway entrance and staircase and all the way upstairs. And that had an amazing uh, reverb that made such a beautiful reverb that we always put a loudspeaker outside and, and recorded with this reverb. And of course, then the hallway went through the whole castle, and that was really loud. So no way to sleep with that. And uh, yeah, yeah, so we had to leave there, which was actually good because but then we found this wonderful huge room, which was 20 meters long, 10 meters wide, and eight meters high. So a really big room where you could even record I mean, a lot of musicians, and mm-hmm. and we I uh, insulated it with old mattresses so that it became had a very good acoustic in in there. And yeah, then that was where we worked. Then until the the end. In the um, early recordings, at least, um, what sort of equipment were you recording uh, on, actually? It was Well, actually, two Revox, two, two uh, stereo machines, uh-huh. on which we recorded everything. And so that is, I can 
This is, a, I would say, a highly recommendable school to listen to what the other musicians do. Because when you record stereo on the... I mean, it's your decision if you fit into it or play louder and then there's no tone engineer uh, like we played. There was no sound engineer who decided to... There was no mixing table. I mean, you played to that and you had to decide your own balance with the others, which was an education to listen more to the others than putting your ego into mm -hmm. it. And uh, that was actually, yeah, that was the best to become a real organism as a whole and not for musicians which play, show off their their, their virtuosity. Mm -hmm. And um, because you had to leave space for the others. And so that was the equipment. And from one we could dub once by playing from one two track to the other. Mm -hmm. And we overdubbed things, but that was it. And only from landed on from the record landed on, we had a 16-track then. How did that change things? That changed things. In the beginning, uh, we got a little bit confused about the new technique because you could, uh, I mean, you could overdub endlessly and erase it again and mm -hmm. just... Uh, uh, well, but then, uh, yeah, we sort of got adapted to that. You feel uh, that have uh, negatively affected the, the spontaneity? Not. I mean, Ken always wanted to be with every record, create itself again, newly. Mm -hmm. That's uh, every. I mean, the records are so different from each other, and every record is 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 a new aspect about what we were after. So. Uh, there's nothing wrong about uh, uh, then using uh, new techniques. Mm -hmm. Although after some time, after well, the fact that after ten years, I mean, uh, we had to stop uh, has less to do with the technique than actually with this thing that being one. Uh, as I said, organism uh, needs so much ten tension, so much uh, intensity of what you're doing, of, 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 of the creative process, that after 10 years, I mean, you get into routines, you're seduced, you know them better and better and uh, it's uh, like Jackie always said it's like a rubber which you uh, stretch for a long long time and then it the tension goes out it gets flipped so but this has less to to do with the technique I mean uh, every uh, can member might have about this 
and there are different view and there are different uh, aspects about the influence on that and uh, I always found this this can book from the can box which I saw outside yeah. uh, very, the funniest thing about it is that four members we four, everybody gets interviewed in a long interview mm -hmm. And actually about the same things, because it was about the same group and it was the same experience. But everybody talks about it very differently. And that this, again, is what makes Cannes interesting. Right. It's uh, the same uh, when I talk about Cannes to my, uh, to my friends, you know, or it just really is, like I say, as if they're talking about completely different uh, bands. Quite amazing. We've been listening to um, music from a release that's going to come out on Mute yeah. in uh, June, June 18th. Oh, Mute Artists. Mute it's Artists. And it's called The Lost Tapes. And, yeah. uh, can you lost tell me? Lost Tapes, yeah. The Lost Tapes, not The Lost not Tapes. Not the last. It or will the last be tapes. the last. Um, the Lost <laughs> Tapes are what exactly? Well, there has been for all these years since Ken. Uh, stopped these big amount of um, of tapes in the archive which had never been never been heard through by anybody of us everybody had uh, some vague re uh, memories about it because what we did was uh, we recorded really everything we you, when we played we there was always a tape running and uh, whatever we did even if we didn't play and, uh, and so then we found out this is uninteresting we overdubbed it but, uh, and used the tape again uh, but found out maybe there is three minutes very interesting on this tape so we left that and played the rest of this tape then again maybe Two years later, we were searching for, uh, looking for a t uh, an empty tape. We said, what about this one? There was only three minutes. No, there is another three, five minutes interesting. So let's keep that and use the rest. So even on one tape was already total uh, chaotic. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and 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 no uh, really instructive notices on the tape what it was, and uh, and sometimes there were, and but uh, well, so if you have about fifty hours of this kind of music, nobody really had the guts to uh, to approach that project to mm -hmm. listen to that, and then Hildegard started really insisting on me that we have to find out if there was something. The only thing I knew was, for instance, the music to this Graublauer Vogel film, which we played. This I knew was very interesting, and uh, we always, like you said, Holger played it to you once. Uh, we had in mind, we knew we should have released parts of this film music but there was never the there was we always released the title songs and then it was too late then it was already old music from from 
three years ago, five years ago, we were in a totally new uh, field. And um, so it got forgotten. And, uh, well, so uh, I went through listening, which doesn't mean listen to 50 hours. It means listening to about 200 or 250 hours because you have to listen again and again and you have to compare it and be sure that, uh, that you are sure about that it's good or not good and then play it to 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 journal listen again to together to it and uh, yeah then i made a choice journal had objected to some not the way uh, not to be uh, to choose them but i threw out some pieces which he mm. really insisted which now are on the what sort of work did you have to do with the tapes? Were they in good shape, and did you? Uh, we have then had them restored, uh -huh. uh, not baked. It's another kind of uh, because they I didn't. They were in good condition. Anyway. Yeah, not all, but but they. Uh, they weren't Ampex, basically. They were BASF and Agfa tapes, which do survive. Yeah, they don't. They didn't need baking. They just needed. Cleaning. There were but some unpack which 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 were restored, but then they were all digitized and uh, put on uh, on CDs. And I listened to these CDs mm -hmm. when I made the selection, and then again the selection we put together on a CD. And well, when I had the final selection, I made the order. Uh, because what I didn't want is, say, one film music, one disc film music, one uh, CD uh, live, one CD studio. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't really fit. And so I wanted that every of these three CDs uh, is a real CD. Uh, you can, it has a form, like any can record, is, tells a story. And uh, that was my main concern, that it tells a story, that it has a flow, a musical flow. So uh, it has, in so far, a v in a chronological order, that uh, one and a half CD is uh, from the times with, uh, with or after um, Malcolm, but before Damo came, and the second part is with Damo and after Damo left. So um, basically, uh, a lot early recordings from the late 60s and uh, beginning 70s, and the other half then from 71 to on till the end. And uh, the bigger part is from the early 70s and 60s because that's from the time where we really recorded only on stereo. Mm -hmm. And then later, of course, when it was on multi-track, uh, one of the main aspects was uh, that uh, actually we run the multi-track and then really erased them if we didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no leftover on multi-track mm -hmm. and there was always 
than running a machine, but a uh, machine in the room, but most of it we used already. So now, uh, but there is, of course, live stuff, which had been recorded by all kinds of strange, I mean, the problem was we never proper made proper live recordings. Uh, I mean, according to the state of the art of live recordings at the time. And we we only, Virgin, went once to Edinburgh and recorded a concert. And then the sound engineer found out that the, uh, the guitar on his multi-track machine was nearly un not audible. He had made a mistake, so it was... <laughs> so he was for nothing. So that was the only professional really recording attempt of ours to make a live recording which went terribly wrong. So uh, only professional live recordings are from, uh, from BBC Radio where we played live quite often mm -hmm. and uh, quite a lot in uh, John Peel show and things like this. Mm -hmm. And in, 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 uh, how was it called? Uh, Grey Whistle Test mm -hmm. was a live thing. And we played at least two, two, three times the year. We had this radio performances in, uh, in London and of course in Germany and in France, but, uh, never proper. So we have, there are, an incredible lot of live recordings of good and bad concerts, but also of good concerts, which are technically totally unusable uh, because then they are recorded on cassette recorders which run too fast or slow. Or anyway, the, the, the quality is too bad. Mm -hmm. I want to... Um go back for a minute and uh, talk about um, the change in the band when Damo Suzuki enters the picture. How did that uh, affect your the way you um, operated? Well, he went very well sort of musically together with Michael. They were the same age, they listened to the same music, they they and Damo was m more sort of mu melodic than Malcolm was. Why don't we listen to a track called Moonshake by Can featuring Damo Suzuki on vocals? Oh, oh, oh. 
Uh, we are back talking to Armin Schmidt of Cannes and John O'Podmore, uh, his uh, collaborator. There is a release called The Lost Tapes uh, by Cannes coming out, which is um, archival stuff from the vaults. That is these Lost Tapes, I mean these three CDs, mm-hmm. is the choice from the archive. And all the rest is not worth to play to a public. So that's finished. The only thing possible would be if we find uh, some live recordings which are really worth two, uh, which we didn't don't know yet, because there is somebody uh, in, in 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 London, uh, Andy Hall, who also is uh, co-author of this uh, first. Can book from Pascal Bussy mm-hmm. um, because he was a great follower of Can and he followed many concerts and he tried to collect as many as he could get hold of Can uh, recordings from concerts all over the world. He was uh, writing in it to people and uh, and. Uh, via internet now so uh, he has an enormous collection which hasn't been heard through all some of them of his uh, things which he found uh, are either on uh, on the can box on these two live CDs which Mm -hmm. are in the can box and uh, well some of them are on lost tapes now but uh, of these live recordings. But there might be, it's as unpredictable as the, the archive was, there might be, uh, yeah, there might be something in it which is worth to, uh, so we will find out later. But uh, for the moment, I have worked enough on all old can stuff because I'm still uh, working on my own mm-hmm. music. I wonder if, though, if this is the right time to mention that also in the works is a uh, box set of the entire can uh, catalog on vinyl yes, and uh, CD in one gigantic package uh, slated for uh, Next year, well, no, September. September. Well, not yet, def- definitely, right. but maybe autumn. Right. Which is uh, an interesting. Uh, must have been interesting to work on for you, Jono, as well. To uh, as the recordings were originally analog, and they had been uh, gone into the digital realm, and to bring them back into a, an analog form. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you make? Uh, Discoveries and uh, listening. It's it's just a question of quality. I mean, the, the yeah. what was what was nice was that the um, uh, when the when the back catalogue had been remastered for CD, it was just a case of of, of organising them, re remastering them for for the CD itself. Um, but what was nice putting it back onto vinyl was how the the track order. And the lengths of the sides were so perfectly designed for vinyl that the the, the albums themselves were made for vinyl, and um, so it was a real joy 
actually kind of mastering it, recutting them back onto vinyl. And uh, the impact it has on the sound quality is fantastic. They, they just jump out the speakers at you now. Which, which I mean, it, it, it sounds great on the CDs, but mm. nevertheless, the, the, um, the, um, what the vinyl lends to the, to the sound is, <clears throat> is, is such a wonderful punch. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, in a lot of cases is missing from the original vinyl because of the aesthetics of the 70s with like shaving off all the bottom end and all this palaver. Yeah, they always told us when we were mastering them, the, the vinyls, they always told that's impossible. You have much too much bass on your, uh, on your tape and we have to cut that, otherwise the needle uh, is jumping on us. Yeah, yeah. And that was in the in the seventies. I always had, and Holger had. We always had real fights with the mastering engineers to to get uh, in a, enough of our punch of bass and bass drum, like we imagined it, and like it was on tape. And that was not only now the big fun, it was already uh, on cutting it on vinyl, it was also already when we remastered it, John wasn't with us remastering it. And when we remastered, the basic idea was uh, of the remastering, put it on CD with as much original sound as possible. Because the, the, the original CD of the 80s, there was a lot of, again, aesthetics, uh, putting some, some, some ampex and, and, well, all kinds of, of trying to make it better. And you couldn't make it better. I mean, uh, there is no better. It's, the, uh, the best is how they really re originally were recorded. And uh, the original recording has... Uh, one of the reasons of the of 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 the impact it had on on so many other musicians during several generations of new styles of musics uh, was that uh, was just this original punch which it had, and, uh, and so it's restored on the remastering, and of course it comes out best on the new vinyl. Well, I need to. I wanted to uh, get into uh, talk a little bit about what you do as uh, as a film composer as well. Well, actually, okay. the Gaublau Vogel, which we started with, was film music, and uh, film music came into Cannes because I had made film music before. So I brought it into Cannes. The, this thing, making film music. It was also a financial uh, thing. We mm -hmm. we were in the beginning uh, we were quite poor and we could earn money with making film music much uh, more than uh, well the records was uh, there was only one record out and not so successful mm -hmm. because everybody thought we are crazy and. Uh, also, uh, life, I mean, our life concerts were not really in the very beginning and in Germany, but because we were just in the beginning only known in Germany, uh, that was very hard. So we didn't earn much money and we had to, and film was a good opportunity. Also, it was fun to do. So, uh, 
We did in the beginning of Canon until the, say, 72, we made some film musics which are documented uh, uh, on soundtracks, on this album soundtracks in 70. Only the title songs actually, and and this piece, Mother Sky, which is a f big, long piece in the film. Uh, but then later we didn't make any uh, very little film music because uh, then we got successful and had big tours and we didn't make any film music anymore. But only after Can I started again making film music. Mm -hmm. And uh, till now I've I've made about, well, including the twenty film musics with Ken, more than uh, yeah about hundred twenty film musics. With uh, Ken, can you tell me about the process uh, for scoring a film? It was not as uh, uh, the same as watching the image no, and playing no, along. No, I to was it. watching the image alone with the director and uh, in and discussing with him what the music should do and how it should be put on the film and where. And then I made my scheme and my, my cues and then went to the studio and described it. And then we made sort of music to my descriptions. And... Uh, that was a totally other different uh, concept. I mean, we didn't. Uh, I, I'm always afraid playing that if musicians play to uh, what they see on this on, on on the screen, they comment sort of double what they see. And I had always the the intention that film music should give and uh, tell the story from another angle. Uh, so uh, that's what we did and what I'm doing always, uh, to trying to, to, to give it another aspect, to, to put something new to the narration. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Is it almost like a another character to yeah it's it's like another character that's yeah, yeah mm. definitely yeah let's hear a track from uh, the soundtracks album dead, dead luck yeah
some observations about uh, the late Mikhail Karoli, the guitar player for, for Can. I heard him, uh, a friend uh, who he knew, uh, Thomas uh, Ziegler, was saying to Mikhail, told him, he says, I'm not a very good guitar player, you know, I really don't, I don't play all that well. Um, but what I think he was was an incredibly great channeler, you know, an improviser of, uh, who was able to tune into something very special. I happen to think he was a very good guitar player. Maybe he was just saying that, but um, his uh, his work on uh, Sunever Babaluma was also quite interesting. He started to use uh, violin. Yeah, and uh, and started singing, and uh, to my ear, Can became a, a substantially different band with the uh, uh, introduction of yourself and uh, Mikhail as singers and the material uh, it had quite a different feel to it. Yeah, eventually, um, Holger uh, left the band. That was and, much later. Yeah. And that was much, much later. That but was, uh, uh, one and a half years, not even two years yeah. before it. And anyway, everything ended. And in retrospect... Well, not everything, but... Uh, how did you feel about the uh, the music that the band was making with uh, Roscoe and Rebop? Well, in the, well the, uh, earlier I, I said something about the rubber band and we tried to... Renew the rubber, yeah. but uh, there's something else. Uh, there was some um, sort of Holger felt felt uneasy at the, uh, and had the idea to um, create a kind of very special uh, sounds, special sounds mm -hmm. and samples. And playing it into can, into music, and that, and he, it was him who asked Roscoe if he would like to. We heard them, traffic. Uh, just we we were having a radio show together, uh, traffic, and then we, and traffic was about splitting. It was sort of their last radio show, and. Uh, Oscar said that. Uh, Olga said it's he is a fantastic bass player. Just uh, and asked him if he would join us. And since traffic was about splitting, uh, he said yes, he would. And he came. And that worked very well in the beginning. <clears throat> and it was some kind of fresh. Thing coming to it, uh, but then he asked uh, Roscoe, sort of convinced us that um, Rebop Quakuba mm -hmm. should also play with us, and then all of a sudden a big confusion started. I mean, in musically and every other sense, for instance. We always had this thing that we all shared everything and we were all the authors equally. And these two 
very much used to the Anglo-American habits of uh, for, uh, economics and thing and business uh, couldn't understand that if they had invented a melody they wanted that the melody was their authorship and that didn't fit and that was one thing which didn't fit also with Rebook came something I learned a hell of music about African and about music about rhythm from Rebop and he was wonderful company but it didn't fit musically really to what can was that was one thing it it, it sort of distracted the whole uh, in, in too many directions and all of a sudden it got all hysterical and, and nervous and that was one thing also I think what uh, Holger then did didn't fit in either uh, but that was not Holger's fault it was because the whole thing wasn't consistent anymore mm -hmm. and in earlier times uh, like I brought this in very early time this 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 uh, uh, radio um, shortwave radio into it and that fitted very well so it could have Holger's thing which was similar then It could have fit very well, but at another, it didn't, no, no, nothing integrated anymore. And uh, so uh, everything had fell apart, which is a reason that the, the record Out of Reach uh, has never been re-released until now we do it, because everybody says, if you do a complete, then do it complete. Well, okay. But uh, for my feeling, uh, it should kick keep out of reach <laughs> could be kept out of reach yeah and the um, at what point did you uh, realize finally that uh, can uh, had uh, at least temporarily uh, ceased to be a, a well-functioning unit that needed to be yeah when on? we finished before we finished just I mean the last year Yeah. So we made another uh, record, which is uh, simply called Can, which is already better, but it's more consistent. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I I didn't want uh, any more. Uh, I mean, it 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 didn't have enough strength anymore to to keep on going. Uh, right. So uh, it was wise to finish it instead of sort of trying. Uh, to keep it alive uh, and also also I was quite happy to have uh, finally some family life mm -hmm. I, uh, my daughter grew up until she was uh, 10, 11 without uh, having a father around very much mm -hmm. who was in on tour or went to the studio when she was in And just came out of school. He went into the studio, came back at six o'clock in the morning. So uh, I mean, she she didn't see her father. I didn't see my daughter very much. So that I was very happy that finally we had some family life, a real one. You did uh, uh, actually get back together though, as can a few years down the yes, road in eighty. Uh, was it 84 I think in 84 at 
in the 80s at least, mid 80s and that. And uh, we made an, another record because we always could imagine making, uh, coming together and making a record. Yeah. Not going on stage uh, because that needed this togetherness, which uh, this kind of creating this organism, as I called it before. Uh, but uh, yeah, we made this record, uh, and uh, strange enough, at that time when we decided maybe we make a record, a, a letter from Malcolm arrived at my place, saying, "What about making a new record?" So we just invited him to come and made one, uh, which is a nice record. Okay, but for my feeling, it's still trying, after such a long time, trying to recreate something which has been already. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think whenever we would have again come together, if Michael wouldn't have died, uh, it would only make sense if we would have made something totally different from before. It's, uh, that's what I, uh, whenever people asked us to, uh, to make a reunion and go on stage, they offered enormous amounts of money for that. We always said, you wouldn't recognize us anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so we never did. Now we can't. Yeah. Even now, if we would like to do, we wouldn't be able because Michael is missing, and without Michael, we are not can. Right. Although, uh, again, you did do um, solo concerts uh, in London. Uh, I don't know what year that was, but you had all presented yeah, your solo projects. Yeah, that's how actually we... But not playing together. Yeah, that's no, we didn't. Uh, that was Hildegard's idea. That was this uh, Ken Solo project where every of us four had his own project. And that's how uh, uh, Kumo, Jono, and me created this duo together and went on stage and started uh, being yeah a group of two. And that's why Jonah got involved in Cannes and all this. Right. We want to uh, talk a little more as well to Jono Podmore, who is your uh, partner and, uh, should I mention, son-in-law as yes. well. Why mention yeah. whatever you want. And uh, <laughs> I have nothing to hide. Jono is married to uh, Ehrman's daughter, Sandra. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a daughter named Lara. Mm-hmm. And um, your um, work together began how? How did you guys uh, actually get acquainted? It was uh, it was strictly business. Yeah. Uh, literally, Ermin was looking for uh, an engineer and co-producer to work on his opera Gormenghast, um, which he'd scored using a traditional score by hand. Um, and but I'd envisaged the music in its final form to be um, uh, pre-recorded, mostly pre-recorded, except for the singing, of course. 
um, and heavily processed and using a lot of um, using a lot of, of rhythm and percussion from the from programmed percussion and breakbeats and whatever. So he needed a, a engineer producer who could create those create those rhythms and record an orchestra and mix an orchestra and then mash up the whole thing into one enormous great monolith of filth. <laughs> and uh, that's where I came in. And uh, yes, and he worked a year with me on uh, this uh, on this opera in my studio. So it was unavoidable that he met my daughter. <laughs> so you are, you have been an invaluable source of skill and um, semen. <laughs> you're um <laughs> And uh, then out of uh, Gormagast came your partnership as uh, uh, a piano and electronics uh, duo, mm -hmm. uh, which is an ongoing thing, mm -hmm. right? And uh, this uh, album, Masters of Confusion, was the first uh, one, right? Right. Uh, in which uh, the format is basically Herman is playing only acoustic piano, right? Not only. No. I, I play acoustic and keyboards, too. Samples. Samples, for instance. There's a very... Uh, a piece I like very much is uh, Fledermenschen, mm -hmm. which where I don't play piano, but uh, samples, uh, f which are actually samples of, of concrete sounds, uh, like, like stones and locks, and, uh, which we used as material for the opera. That was how the collaboration came about and we had collected such a huge amount of uh, sounds of of, of uh, samples that uh, we thought we could make something on stage with it too besides the fact that I wanted to play real again piano and uh, so Fleder uh, mentioned uses only samples on the keyboard, which all are used in the opera. Um, because there is, for instance, there is a kitchen, a big scene in a kitchen, and we recorded together with Jackie. He was playing in my ki on, on everything in my kitchen, on, on plates and, and uh, with knife and forks and uh, on, 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 on pans and pots. And we threw big amounts of china from the mezzanine of my studio down to the, to the stone floor, crashing it, and, and all this kind of recorded uh, stones rolling down uh, staircases and uh, this kind of thing. And all these kind of sounds which were created for the opera, uh, we used in this piece. Okay, and incidentally, this piece is recorded live. This was live on stage um, at... The Amsterdam, was it? No, no, no. Crossing Border Festival in Den Haag. In Den Haag, but this it is, was Holland. This is the yeah. Den Haag version. Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
that was a track uh, from uh, an album called Masters of Confusion by Erwin Schmidt and John Podmar, oh, a.k.a. Kumo. Kumo. And uh, they, uh, as a team, have been involved in a lot of interesting projects, one of which is uh, called Axolotl Eyes. And that was an installation at the Barbican Center? Yeah. Oh, no, the, the no. Axolotl Eyes is, is a straight-ahead oh, album. sorry, that's right. That's a, yeah, yeah, Axolotl Eyes is a straight-ahead album with seven tracks on it. Yeah. And uh, when we released it, we included with it uh, a DVD of our sound installation called Flies, Guys and Choirs. Right. Uh, Flies, Guys and Choirs was originally composed for the Barbican Centre for a 32-speaker system. And so we had um, 16 separate channels um, diffused through 32, 32 speakers across the building. Um, and um, it works so nicely as a piece in its own right that uh, we mixed it down in um, surround sound 5-1 down to just uh, six channels. And that's what's on the DVD. Uh-huh. Let's hear a little bit of that. Well, what's, what, and, we can uh, play a track. We can play um, a track from the album. Yeah. From Axolotl Blythe. We can play uh, Kick on the Floods. Yeah.
it down. Very nice, very nice. That was Herman Schmidt and Kumo uh, performing as Masters of Confusion. Or uh, that's no, that was just the title of an album. That was the title. That's the the title of the album. We we, uh, our our name is Herman Schmidt and Kumo as a band. Right. Uh, John Podmar also is involved in a very interesting uh, band now. called it a band the Metamono mm-hmm. Metamono is uh, three guys uh, from London and uh, they have issued a manifesto absolutely and uh, can you uh, in brief uh, condense the manifesto and give us an idea of what and how and why well, the, and wherefore the idea of the band is is basically to, to make music completely using exclusively analog electronic means. Mm-hmm. So to make sure that we we kept it exclusive, we created a manifesto that um, uh, prevented us from using microphones, um, prevented us from doing making overdubs to keep it very uh, fresh. Um, so the restrictions that we put upon ourselves uh, have ended up making us really prolific. It's, re- it's very easy to create music when you're not going to sit around endlessly doing overdubs and um, and uh, endlessly recording things, so uh, we set up our set up the synths, which are all either secondhand, borrowed, self-made, or stolen, and um, and uh, off we go. And uh, often when we play together, we will record sometimes up to five different tunes in a session. And uh, record them, record them to tape, mm-hmm. and then set about the editing process. Now, the editing process, process of course, does go on for quite a while, but we'll do sort of twenty-minute improvisations, and mm-hmm. then um, and then chop them down to 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 good bite-sized pieces. Yeah. yeah. Have you got any arguments about this idea that you can't use microphones? I mean, how does that figure in? Well, what it is is basically we, we created the we created the manifesto. And it's not it's not a political organisation, you know. I mean, it's it, it, it's purely aesthetic thing to make sure that meta mono sounds and behaves in a particular way. I mean, you can hear in the rest of my music with Ermin that there's microphones all over the place and an infinite right. amount of overdubs. There's nothing politically I have against those techniques. There's no punishment involved. Then. There is, actually. There's <laughs> some quite brutal dictatorial right. uh, punishments. Mm. Uh, but um, it's, it's really it's just to, to ensure that what Metamono creates mm-hmm. is created in that, in that way and has that, uh, has that sound. Mm-hmm. And what does Metamono sound like exactly? Well, it sounds something, John, like this. This is Empty Game Zone. Wow. 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 Wow.
That was a track by Metamano, and uh, Metamano is John O'Pod Morse, uh, one of his many projects, uh, Metamano being the three-man uh, analog electronic crew from... <laughs> London, Southeast London. Uh, from Southeast London. And then you've got so the last track was from a new EP coming out. Actually, the first track was, uh, what do you call zone. this? Uh, the, from a first EP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was there a name for this EP? It was called the Tape EP. The Tape EP, that's right. Then the new one, uh, the second track is going to be called what? The, uh, the, the uh, new EP coming out in June is going to be called the Parcel Post EP. Yeah, and how do people. Uh, get their hands on such a thing the well it hopefully this one isn't going to be released in the the first ep because of the deal we did with the record company was actually released also digitally it wasn't just an analog release but we've set up our own record company now so this one's going to be a hundred percent analog release so uh they would have to they would have to buy the vinyl or cassette we'll make it available on cassette as well and uh that will be available worldwide if you Either from a shop or or from our website metamono.co.uk. Downloadable too, of course. No, no, we're going to avoid the downloads completely. Really? Yeah. Okay. We're sticking you to have our a problem with downloads. <laughs> uh, well, basically, we're just we're trying to avoid to any kind of digital formats because mm-hmm. the music is made without any any use of anything digital. Right. So, but uh, of course, with the state of the business as it is now, there is an enormous pressure on us to to release downloads. Um, so we might make downloads freebie downloads, but uh, essentially we just want people to have the analog formats mm-hmm. and turntables and needles and all that stuff. Uh, what is the plan now for uh, further collaborations with uh, John O'Podmore and uh, Can Music? Uh, well, I mean, since the the uh, the work on the lost tapes was uh, a colossal amount of work for me over which yeah. was spread over two years uh, editing and making the montages and uh, layering all the the uh, pieces together to create proper constructive pieces of music from uh, all the little snippets and odd bits of film music that were in the archive right. um, and um, now now that this is now that the lost tapes is is about to be released um, we um, we're going to start um, turning a series of recordings that Ermin and I did with uh, Jackie Liebzeit and um, Bernd Friedman, which we spent a week recording last year, and um, four or five pieces are kind of edited but need to be put into a proper format, and that will hopefully be released sometime this year too. What kind of music is that you've done? Is Completely it bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Unpredictably bananas. <laughs> uh, we're going to play something now again from uh, the Lost Tapes, which uh, uh, can the Lost Tapes is going to come out in uh, June on Mute Artists, and uh, it's something really to look forward to. It's this uh, great stash of. Uh, the can tapes from way back and all throughout the can's uh, can's uh, uh, career, and it's magical stuff. We're gonna uh, segue out of this uh, world right now with a piece. Uh, we're gonna do Spoon Live, and uh, I want to thank uh, John O'Podmore 
and uh, Erman Schmidt of Cannes for talking with me today about the uh, miracle of